0: The Pac-12 hasn't won a bowl game in two years, and yeah, that's uh, that's not very good. It's actually 2019, technically twenty twelve. whatever you want to say, it's been too long. But, though that has weakened the perception of the conference nationally, there are opportunities in the non-conference slate this year for the Pac-12 to get a little bit of its credibility, a little bit of its mojo back. Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, wherever you are listening to or watching this show. I appreciate all of you out there of which there are hundreds, and I hope one day there will be thousands who have already done. So love to see the audience growing on this show because I love talking about the Pac-12. I mean, it is just a really fun thing to be able to do. Quite frankly, I love engaging with all of you, and if you ever want to engage with me, you got four ways you can do that. You tweet with the hashtag AskLOP12, You can DM me at LO underscore Pac-12 or at Smalls underscore 55 is my personal account. Or you hop in the YouTube comments. If you're watching there and you ask me a question, get an answer for you right here on the show. I am more than happy to do all of that. Ask me anything. Anything about the Pac-12. Heck, if you want to ask me a live question, by all means. Um, But anyhow, so it's a problem that the Pac-12 hasn't won a bowl game in the last two college football seasons. The last team to do so. Was uh, Oregon in the 2020 Rose Bowl after the 2019 season? So, two years, three, however you want to look at it. It's been a long time. But one thing that's important to consider, and I've talked with other people who, you know, uh, discuss college football regularly, regularly, it's a fun word about this, is a lot of times I think nowadays in college football, you see as much, if not even more, hype. Around these, you know, preseason—not you know, pre-conference season—I should say non-conference games—then you do bowl games. I, I'm still someone who is of the opinion that bowl season still matters because part of the reason the Pac-12 has a really negative national reputation is nobody has won a bowl game the last couple of seasons. That's definitely a part of it. Are they everything? No. Are they still something? Yes. So I, I very much enjoy them, but there are opportunities. And let's get to more of them because I've discussed a good amount of them. You can go back and listen to them on uh, past episodes or watch on YouTube as well. But these are kind of beyond weeks one and two. So week three, right off the bat, you got Washington hosting Michigan State. Now, I don't have particularly high expectations for the Huskies this year because I think their program has a couple years to, to go in order to get back to a place where they can really contend the betting markets don't tend to agree with me but I'm just not as high on them this year I I don't I think they lost a lot in the secondary though they've you know had a propensity as a program to bring in good players there but they have quarterback question marks and they've got a new staff and they've got I I just think a number of talent deficiencies on the roster like there, there are some areas where they're good I mean having Jackson Kirkland on the offensive line should really help but I think there are more questions than answers up there in Seattle at this point in time. But in week three, Washington plays Michigan State, a team that went 11-2 two in 2021 under former Colorado head coach and George defensive coordinator Mel Tucker, who looks to be, and he got a big time expense, uh, extension, I think it was like 10 years, $95 million. It was, it was a lot of money. He seems like a really good coach, but. That's a lot of money. Here's the fascinating thing for Washington, because I'm not that high on them as a roster, but they have a very favorable early schedule. And the week three game against Michigan State is part of four consecutive home games they get to start the year. If you're a new coach coming into a Power 5 program that has fallen down and is looking to climb its way back up to the top of the conference, I don't know if there's a better way to start than four consecutive games at home. And Michigan State being in there, I mean, that would be a landmark win. It would completely prove me wrong. If Washington wins that game, I will look at them completely differently. I will come on here and say, all right, I I—I w- was wrong. I underestimated them. I think it's going to be a tough game to win. They don't have Kenneth Walker anymore, but they did add Jarek Broussard, former uh, Pac-12 freshman of the year at Colorado. So I think they're going to be able to run the ball just fine, but that's a huge opportunity. That That is a really, really big one there. Uh, they've got Kent state and Portland state before they play uh, the Spartans. So should be able to get uh, a couple of wins there. They also should have beaten Montana a season ago, but it's a new staff and I expect them to be more competent than they were last year. Uh, and then they have Stanford in, in week four. So, That's a big one. Here's another one. And this one feels kind of weird and random. In in that same week, week three, Cal goes at Notre Dame. You got a couple of defensively-minded head coaches there. So there might not be a ton of points down there in South Bend, but Cal has to go at Notre Dame with a new quarterback. That might be a long day for the Golden Bears. It would be a major upset. And I would be pretty surprised if Cal wins the game. I think the one thing they have going for him is, though Notre Dame scored a lot of points in their uh, Fiesta Bowl loss to Oklahoma State. I think it was the Fiesta Bowl, might have been the Sugar. Eh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. But they lost that game to Oklahoma State, and they did score a lot of points there. I feel like that's going to be a real low-scoring, grinded-out affair, where you know the it, it could be a twenty-four to ten final score. That's pra- that's probably going to be. I'll go. I'll go twenty seven ten. I think that's twenty seven ten Notre Dame with with a late touchdown in there to to kind of seal the deal. But Cal on the road in week three with you know probably Jack Plummer at quarterback, boy, that's asking a lot of, of that offense early, and they they've struggled on that side of the ball majorly, and that 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 could be a long day for the Golden Bears, but a significant opportunity. I've mentioned Colorado before. Uh, I have no lower, no, let me, uh, start that over and try and say it more, uh, coherently. There is not a team I have fewer expectations for in 2022 than Colorado. I think they could very easily go two and ten. Now, maybe they repeat and go four and eight. I think that would be a, a good season considering the transfers that, that they've had and, you know, just kind of what the state of their roster is right now for Carl Durrell and company. But part of the reason they could go 2-10, and ten, in my view, is that they could start 0-3 oh very easily. They've got TCU at home. Then they go at Air Force and at Minnesota. There's no layups in there. I mean, that's a brutal, that's a really brutal non-conference schedule, especially for Colorado. Do not have a lot of hopes that, uh, or a lot of high hopes, I should say, that they're going to you know be able to pull that off. Uh, one one game that, you know, or Oregon's got the biggest non-conference game probably Well, Utah going down to Florida, I think, is also right there. But Oregon's got the reigning national champions in Georgia, and that's in week one. And that's just that that that's a rude introduction to being a head coach if you're Dan Lanning. But at least it's against his old team. So give Oregon a chance, but I wouldn't give him a great chance. though. Um, so I didn't give him much of a chance last year against Ohio State either. But in week three. They've got BYU. And I think a lot of Pac-12 fans out there should know by now that BYU is not a team to be taken lightly because they believe, or they uh, they beat, if memory serves, five Pac-12 teams a season ago, including Utah. Yeah, that's not a game, even though it's at Autzen Stadium, where Oregon has been very, very tough over the years. That's not a game that the Ducks can afford to take lightly. So that's it for the early season non-conference. What about the later season non-conference? I'll tell you about those. But first, I remind you that our friends at Built, they're always coming out with amazing new flavors. And guess what? They have done it again. Introducing the Mud Pie Bar and the Mud Pie Puff. Not sure what Mud Pie tastes like? Well, if you're a chocolate fan, you better sit down for this because the new Mud Pie Bar is rich, whipped cream and chocolate mousse, oh, such a good combo, smothered and 100% real chocolate topped with cookies and cream crumble. And of course, it's 150 calories, only eight grams of sugar and loaded with protein as well. Go get yours right now. Go to built.com, use promo code lock 15, get 15% off your order. That's promo code lock 15 for 15% off at built.com. So I mentioned Notre Dame earlier, and they will actually play three Pac-12 teams this year. They got Cal in week three, then in week seven, the traditional game against Stanford. That one also in South Bend. The only time Notre Dame has to go on the road against Pac-12 opponent is against USC in week 13. If the conference is a whole, right, you're looking at Stanford, USC and Cal, if those California schools can go one and two against Notre Dame, that'd be fine. But if you can find a way to go two and one, I think that would go a long ways because Marcus Freeman has got a lot of hype on the national level and deservedly so. He he showed a lot from a a galvanizing standpoint as a head coach. The players seem to like him. He, he's been very well respected and and well liked in that building and in that football program for the last several years. Expectations there are pretty high. If Cal loses, but if Stanford is able to have a bounce back year and USC is able to win that game, which I think is one of the toughest on their schedule and it's really good that, that they're able to get it at home. I think their only tougher game this year is probably Utah. And that's, I don't remember what week that is off the top of my head, but if the Pac-12 goes 2-1 and one against Notre Dame this year, I think that's a great place for the conference to be when you look at you know non-conference opportunities this year. And speaking of BYU, Stanford... Because they play non-conference games all over the place, they just they, they just do. You know, most teams go three non-conference and then nine conference games. Stanford and USC both mix it up a little, just the way it is. Um, I, I'm sure there are historical broadcasting media rights reasons, and you know, the, uh, big time national powers. Uh, there's just all all sorts of things in, in in play there as to why that that's the case. But I, I look at that week 13 game. Uh, I mean, a couple of good ones there. Stanford, BYU. Again, we'll see where Stanford's at in their season, but that could be a really nice way for them to to start rounding out their their 2022 college football campaign. If if they can pick up a win against BYU, it's always solid. It's never you know program changing, but it's always a win. Where you look and you go, okay, that's that, that's pretty good. We're we're doing we're doing well. But I look at that Week 13 game, USC and Notre Dame. Those are two of the biggest names in the history of college football. And depending on how things play out, I think that could be the game that really puts into focus for everybody the idea that the Pac-12 is back as being a more legitimate conference on a national scale. Because if you go into that game, and Notre Dame and USC are both around the 9-10 win mark at that point in their seasons, That's going to be a college game day game, and it will be a massive spectacle. The Coliseum will sell out for that one. And it will, I mean, it will feel bigger than any Pac 12 college football game has felt in probably a decade. I mean, you would be hard pressed. Not that there haven't been great games, right? I'm sure people will hop in the comments and say, oh, like, what about this game? What about that one? You can't duplicate. The, the national power of USC and Notre Dame. And if they both go into that, say Notre Dame beats Cal and beats Stanford and is rolling in at you know nine or 10 wins going into that game against USC, that that's going to be the talk, not just of the conference, that's going to be the talk of the country. Everyone will want to see that because everyone wants to see, is Lincoln Riley really going to be able to jumpstart USC that fast? And if they beat Notre Dame, a good Notre Dame team, on that stage man that will be gosh that could be big I get excited just thinking about it I really I really hope that that game is what we want but it's not a guarantee right it's not like a week one two or three game where you know you, you have a pretty good idea of what the records are going to be it's not like a Georgia Oregon or a Utah Florida where you say okay you're going in a week one and you just set the tone for the rest of the season. Or at least first few weeks of the season, and then maybe you have a uh, you know a couple stumbles along the way, which has been known to happen in college football. But that week thirteen game, phew, that could be big, big time for for the Pac twelve. Okay, let's continue with our Pac twelve uh, coaching evaluations, and now we're moving into the new hires department. And I'm going to do this for Jake Dickert as well, not today because I just talked about him recently. But he he's kind of a new hire and he's kind of already been a coach. But the the four new hires in in the conference this year: Lincoln Riley, Dan Lanning, Kalen DeBoard, and uh, Jake Dickert at you know USC, Oregon, Washington, and Washington State, respectively. We'll begin today with uh, Lincoln Riley, and the way that I'm framing these coaching evaluations in terms of the hires, uh, giving them an overall grade coaching pedigree you know kind of the the background where he was what sort of teams he had to work with how successful he was that sort of stuff recruiting expectations not how he recruited before though that will factor into the grade a little bit but you know what do I expect from the school now and and if I you know see a hire and don't expect that the recruiting is going to elevate that much that's going to tend to get a lower grade because you want to bring in a coach in theory that has the ability to raise the recruiting profile of your school. Uh, Then I'll look at the the state of the program, kind of the biggest challenges that they're facing, and then just kind of the the overall team profile with the new head coach and how it feels. So uh, shocking though, this may be lots of good news here (laughs) with regards to Lincoln Riley going to USC. Overall, it's an A. I mean, it's an overall a higher. The only reason it's not an A plus is because he hasn't yet in his five seasons as a head coach been to a national championship game. That's the only thing that's that's stopping it because, you know, you, you have to have some leeway on the other side. If somehow you had hired Nick Saban or, or Dabo Sweeney or Urban Meyer. Right. I mean, that would be. Um, you know, th- those are three of the best college football coaches in the last 15, 20 years or so. And, uh, so he, he's an a overall, but the national championship is literally all he's missing. He's got conference championships. He's got, you know, a bunch of 10 win seasons. I mean, you know, they're, they're a player and they, they've been in the college football playoff or Oklahoma has that is under his leadership. And, you know, he's never had Lincoln Riley. This is why coaching pedigree perspective. He gets an a. He's never had a full college football season where he hasn't won 10 games as a head coach. He went 10 and two, then left Oklahoma prior to the bowl game. Bob Stoops came in and got the Sooners to an 11 win season when they trounced Oregon. It was like 30 to three or or something. I mean, it was really not close. Part of a bad bowl season for the Pac-12, as I was alluding to earlier, but He's just done nothing but win games and I'll get to his biggest challenge and a little bit of context there which is you know kind of the the toughest area for him coming in but recruiting expectations I've got them sitting in an a minus minus. and by the way I'm grading this on the same curve the same you know kind of rigorous and toughness as before with the coaching evaluations not handing out a's and a minuses here just for fun like C is average if I think you're average or slightly above average they give you C C plus and that's that's fine it's not a dig if you're in the b category you know b minus to a b plus then you're doing things pretty solidly above average and if you're in the a's then you're doing outstanding at least in uh my eyes i've got recruiting expectations at an a minus here and a question that you know has been tossed around i won't say a ton but i mean it's come in, into the minds of USC fans, I'm sure. And we've all thought about it one time or another is, you know, could USC have the the top recruiting class in, in the country? I've seen some of you in the YouTube comments say like, oh, they could, you know, get the number one class in the country. I mean, they could certainly be number one in, in the Pac-12 going toe to toe with Oregon now going forward. And I think that that's something that is very, very attainable. But could they get to number one in the country? it's tough even at USC even with the, the national brand power that's there it's really tough because it's not like Georgia and Alabama are slowing down or Texas A&M so i understand that you know some Trojans fans might have that goal or or expectation but i don't expect him to be able to get to number 1 in country and i don't think he needs to get there right to get to the college football playoff he wasn't doing that at Oklahoma right he had top 10 caliber classes which is 100% where he should be ge- where he should be beginning in the class of 2023 those should be top 10 classes or you know maybe sneaking into the top five going forward but can i sit here and say like oh he's got to get to number one or he's not recruiting well enough like no that's not a reasonable way to to approach it but top 10 uh 100 expectation by the way speaking of usc recruiting over uh the weekend last weekend whenever you're listening to this i was at that overtime seven on seven camp down there and checking out some of the the top prospects and recruits in the country uh a number of players stood out one of them the the number one guy who stood out to me down there was malachi nelson and he's the number two rated quarterback in the class of 2023. I'm not so sure he isn't number one and Arch Manning is only number one because his last name is Manning. Not that he isn't a good prospect, but Malachi Nelson is a dude. Guy <laughs> okay. from, from a physical gift standpoint. If you think he pops off the screen when you look at his YouTube highlights, when you see him in person, he's towering over everybody, but he's not like, you know, uh, Nico Yamaleava, a five star who's committed to to Tennessee. He's not thin. He's built, but he is agile. His arm is ridiculously strong. His motion is quick. He's got a lot of zip on it. He had a move. You know, it's seven on seven. You can blitz. I think once per set of downs, which is the way my friends and I played uh, backyard football growing up, and in in like Oswego, Oregon. But anyway, um, you get one blitz per set of downs, and he got blitzed from the backside by someone who I believe was a DB, maybe a linebacker, but probably a DB. You know, corner or safety. And he did a Michael Vick spin move where he pirouettes away in like less than half of a second, rolls out to his left and throws the ball on the mic. It was one of the most impressive plays from a quarterback I've ever seen live. Pads, no pads, you know, seven on seven, like whatever. It was ridiculous. That guy is that guy's going to the league. Uh, Let's get to uh, the final two things here with Lincoln Riley's evaluation from a, a hiring standpoint. And that's the state of the program. Now, this is not as much reflection on the coach, but it it does, you know, kind of give you an idea of of what the expectations for should be in terms of, you know, how quick the turnaround should be. Because if you're making a new hire, generally it's because your program wasn't living up to the standard that you were setting before. It's not always the case, but it it is often the case far more often than not, unless you have a coach, you know, leave your program after some success and, and go somewhere else. But I think right now the the state of the program and looking at the biggest challenge for USC puts this at a, a B minus, meaning it's, you know, not incredibly hard for, for Lincoln. Like right now, I'd say USC is about at a B minus. I know for a lot of Trojan fans, after four and eight in 2021, kind of feels like an F. I I, I totally get that. The reality is it could still be a lot worse. But the reason that I think this is the toughest area for for Lincoln Riley, is is twofold. Number one, he has to do something that he didn't have to do at Oklahoma, and that is rebuild a program. Now, the transfer portal is going to help him, and we've seen you know the the potential that they have there and the players that they have brought in. That's not going to do anything negative for for USC. It's all it's all positive there, but. When Lincoln Riley was named the head coach at Oklahoma, he was taking over a program led by Bob Stoots that was a perennial power in college football year in and year out. And he continued on on that mom, on that momentum train and even brought it to, to new heights and expectations and whatnot, specifically in the offensive side of the ball. But this is still a new challenge for him. But is it an impossible challenge? No, that's why this is not, you know, a, a C minus or a D plus, like, you know, a Jed Fish coming into Arizona, that would have been probably an F, right? I mean, that would have been, they've lost eight straight games coming in to, or 12 straight games as a program when he took over that, that's what an F would look like. So I don't think that it's going to be easy for, for Lincoln Riley, because you not only have to, you know, do something you haven't really done before. And that's, rebuild a program after it has fallen down on tough times but the other thing is the expectations couldn't be higher at Oklahoma yep there there were expectations but the infrastructure for having a really successful program was there he now has to build that himself and the expectations are I would say even higher at USC and any sort of stumble any sort of you know shortcoming I think is going to be magnified because USC gets a lot of national media attention and the fans are very passionate and they're very tied into the program. And now that he's there with the coaching pedigree that he brings in, the expectations are sky high. And I think that that's a, another thing that's going to be tough for him just to, to have to deal with in, in, in the What am I trying to say? He's not going to win every game. And so one thing that he'll have to... You know, deal with as a coach is I think when you lose at at USC and the expectations and the hype that's being built around the program are even greater than what he had when he was at Oklahoma. You lose at Oklahoma, yeah, it's a big deal. Fans are not happy, but I think it's even worse at at USC. And that factors into the sort of culture that you can establish with with your players and in the locker room. And and I think that's something that should not go overlooked. Uh, Last thing here uh, how much does the higher Razor team's profile? Yeah, that's a pretty easy A plus. <laughs> I don't think maybe it should be an A because it's not an accept. But I mean, I don't know how much more attention USC and Lincoln Riley can can get. You know, and if if the Trojans had hired like a James Franklin, this would probably be ab to B2B plus where people say, you know, all right, this is a good hire. He's a good coach and he should be able to, you know, bring him back from four and eight and such, like he did at Vanderbilt and Penn State. But It's different when it's Lincoln Riley and the profile of the school, I think has been reelevated. Now he's got to show it on the field, right? They have to have the results to match it. But so far at this point in, in his tenure and when he was hired as well, it was the story in college football. And you really can't raise your team's profile a whole heck of a lot higher than that, even at a place like USC. I appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.